0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Friday. Oh, by the way, today is the 13th of August. This is, it's interesting. My brother Mike always referred to this as the the apparition that wasn't. Uh, Remember the children at Fatima, Our Lady appeared to them every month on the 13th of the month. So by the way, the 13th has been redeemed, right? Our Lady put her blessing on the 13th. And um, she appeared to them on the 13th of the month, every month for five months. And on the 13th of August, the political powers in the little town of uh, fatima had arrested the three children so they were in jail well our lady came there were crowds there waiting at the the home oak where our lady had appeared and they saw the light come they saw the light come they couldn't see her or talk to her but she was there and she waited and then she left and um so it was the apparition that wasn't but then she appeared again on the 19th to the children when they were out in the fields um, so, just anyways, to remember Our Lady of Fatima on this is the thirteenth of of, uh, of the month of August that Our Lady did appear. You know, it's funny she made an appointment with the children and she came and kept that appointment. I love it. And she knew that the children didn't um, shrug the appointment that they were kept from it from by other powers. And by the way, because of the interference of those men who were trying to oppose God. The miracle that Our Lady worked on October 13th, which, by the way, all through God's grace mm-hmm. is God working, right. but um, was less. Yep. The miracle was diminished. So you see, we do interfere or we help God's work. And that's all of us have a role to play in the building of God's kingdom. So we want to look at that role today in the gospel reading. Um, we want to ask the angels to join us here and give us light. Our angels are the enlightened our minds to help us to follow God and do his work better. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaot, Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. The gospel reading for today is from Matthew 19, 3 through 12. And in this, what we have here is Jesus, um, some Pharisees approached Jesus and tested him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause whatsoever? He said in reply, Have you not read? From the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God joined together, man must not separate. They said to him, Then why did Moses command? That the man give the woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her. He said to them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If that's the case with a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) he answered not all can accept this word but only those to whom that is granted some are incapable of marriage because they were born so some because they were made so by others some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven whoever can accept this ought to accept it Mm -hmm. the gospel of the lord
2: praise to you lord jesus christ
1: so we have some Pharisees coming here to Jesus, and it's interesting. Last weekend we had a conference here at the chapel called S- Sex and Honor uh, with Dr. Louis Sandoval and um, Cherie, and I've forgotten her last name, and then yep. I gave a talk on theology of the body, which the, the beginning point, the, the what would you say that the huh, springboard of theology of the body for John Paul II is this passage in Matthew. This is where he starts his, in his catechesis on the theology of the body. So what's going on here? Well, number one, are the Pharisees really um, sincere? Well, the Pharisees approached Jesus and tested him, saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Well, apparently there were a couple schools of thought at that mm-hmm. time, in, and some of them was like, yeah, any for any cause you can divorce your wife, whatever. But it was a little stricter under Moses. There had to be good reason. You had to have some reason to divorce her. And so, um, but what does Jesus do? Jesus takes them back to the beginning. Well, what happened in the beginning? In the beginning, God made man. And how did he make man? And again, we have to go back to Genesis to look at this. And this is what Pope John Paul II does in his theology of the body. He goes back to look at that passage. Let's go back to the beginning. And what does it say? God said, let us make man in our image. In our own likeness, let us make him. And by the way, God is, God is in, in, in Genesis, it uses the plural pronoun in referring to God. Yes, there is only one God. But already when God inspired men to write about him, he's using the plural pronoun. He's letting, you, he's letting us know that he's not a solitude unto himself. So God created man in his image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then Jesus will go on to say, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Well, the first quote is from Genesis 1.27. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The second one is from Genesis two twenty four. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will be one flesh. So the first truth we learn about man in Genesis is that he's made in the image of God. And again, it's interesting because Terry and I, when we were going together, read Three to Get Married by Bishop Sheen. I recommend everybody. Oh yeah. Everybody. And whether you're married or not, <laughs> if you're thinking about getting married, if you know, whatever. It should be read. We need to understand what marriage is because marriage is the basic unit of society and of the church. It's the first unit that God created. It's the first um, cooperative uh, union of human beings, man and woman, in marriage. Okay, And he would give them, we know it's marriage, he says, because a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. So we have here man being created in the image of God. Well, the first five chapters of three to get married, if I remember correctly, I believe it was the first five chapters Mm -hmm. are Trinitarian theology, because we need to understand we're made in God's image. We need to know who God is because we're supposed to image him in our marriage. Right. And it's interesting in the Trinity. What do you have? You have the father who from all eternity speaks one word of perfect knowledge. And that word is so real. That word is a person, his divine son, his only divine son. And the son goes out from the father in this dynamism of the father speaking. But then he returns to the father in an embrace of love. And from that embrace of love, a third person spirates, and that's the Holy Spirit, now, when we speak of it, you might get the impression, well, that was a time sequence. No, that's because we're, we're, we're locked into time. We were made by God. Time is also a creature of God. And we understand things, but, but in a time sequence. But no, that's not how it was. This is a, a one eternal action from all eternity. God is God. He is who he is. And he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and what is it about God? Well, because he reveals himself, not as a solitude, not as a monolith, but as a trinity of persons, we come to understand that God is always giving and loving. He's always fruitful. He's always love. Love is diffusive. It gives itself away. And because God is a trinity of persons, yes, he is always giving himself The Father is always giving himself to the Son, and the Son is always giving himself back to the Father, and the Spirit is always spirating from that and returning that love so that in the Trinity you have this circle, as it were, of love where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are continually pouring themselves out into each other as gift of love continuously. Well, what does that mean? What does that have to do with us and marriage? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that John Paul II mentions in his theology of the body, is that, and it's also in Gaudium et Spes, this is deeply rooted in the teaching of the church, man can only find himself when he makes a sincere gift of himself to another. Now in this passage from today's gospel, Jesus makes it clear, the apostles are like, wait a minute, if a man can't divorce his wife, then let me get out of here, I shouldn't get married. And Jesus says this teaching is for those who can accept it. So not everyone's called to marriage. So well, wait a minute, how can man make a sincere gift of himself if it's not in marriage? Well, we make a sincere gift of ourselves when we serve one another in love. Mm. What does Jesus say about the last judgment? I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison or sick and you visited me. I was homeless and you welcomed me. Whenever you did this for the least of my brother, you did this for me. So, as Christians, as human beings, the only way we will find ourselves is by giving of ourselves to others. Bishop Sheen had a great saying to remind us of this I sought my God, but my God I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. Mm. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. Mm. We need to give to those around us. Now, in marriage, there's a unique giving. The two shall become one flesh. And in that unique giving, and this is why, by the way, the church insists that marriage always be open to life, that we never do anything artificial to interfere with the possibility of the transmission of life. (gasps)
2: Hey, Mary, I want to remind everybody the marriage conference that we did last Saturday was recorded. It's available by going to vmpr.org. Or call us at 877-526-2151. You can get yourself a download on that. I think it would be very efficacious for you and for your bride. Come right back, family, with more on the Bible with the
0: Barbers. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August the 13th, 2021, the 19th week in Ordinary Time, Friday, and we're reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 19, 3 through 12. And in this Gospel, Jesus reiterates the um, God's purpose from the beginning when he made marriage, that a man would leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two would be joined together. And what God had joined, no man was to put asunder. And so we were talking about that that because God made man to image in the image of God, so man is supposed to image God in this world. um, And man in marriage, in particular, marriage is supposed to be an image of the inner life of the Trinity. So. The Trinity is God. Yeah, there's only one God, but in God, there are three persons. So God is not a solitude unto himself. And this is why marriage must always be open to life. Husband and wife must always be open to the possibility of bringing forth children. You can never do anything artificial to interfere with with the transmission of life in marriage. That's what the church teaching is. The church teaching isn't, oh, you have to have as many children as you want or or you can or you have to have a baby every year. And no, as a matter of fact, you're supposed to have your babies as God sends them. You're supposed to nurse them if possible. And I know some women can't nurse, but you try, you make an effort. And and if you do are able to successfully nurse your babies, it will naturally space the children. You won't have a baby every year.
2: You know, Mary, there's a quote from Vatican II about this marriage. Yes. right in my Navarre Bible, I'd like to just go out and spez. Yes, Gaudi. it says this: marriage and married love are by natural order to the procreation and education of children. Right. Indeed, children are the supreme gift of marriage <laughs> and greatly contribute to the good of the parents themselves. Amen. God Himself said, "It is not good that man should be alone." This is right from Genesis chapter two, and from the beginning. He made them male and female. This is really uh, good for us to, especially in our culture where we're all mixed up about our sexes. The so Bible makes it really clear. And we're, again, we're a biblical worldview of marriage. So male and female, wishing to associate them in a special way with his own creative work. Amen. God blessed man and woman with the words, be fruitful and multiply. That's from Genesis chapter 1. Without intending to underestimate the other ends of marriage, it must be said that true married life and the whole structure of the family life which results from it is directed to disposing the spouses to cooperate valiantly with the love of the Creator and Savior who through them will increase and enrich His family from day to day. This is right from Vatican II. Sometimes people say to me, Oh, Vatican II is giving you a world biblical view of marriage.
1: Are we listening? Amen. Are we listening? Or have we hardened our hearts like yeah. the Pharisees here? You know, they come to Jesus and they make the objection that, well, Moses allowed. It's, it's interesting because they say Moses commanded. Yeah. You know, commanded. It's like, it's like Moses made up this and, and, and Moses. Hardness with, of your heart. You know, but, but Jesus says, no, it wasn't. It's because of the hardness of your hearts that you were allowed divorce yeah but you see that was before jesus became before the word of god the second person of the blessed trinity became incarnate Mm -hmm. once the second person of the blessed trinity the word of god became incarnate and took to himself a human nature he redeemed man from from the fall right and although we don't return to original innocence we still have original sin and the effects of original sin that's right nonetheless he gives us the grace to live the life as if we had original innocence, that in the sense that he will give us the strength and the courage to keep the commandments of God and to live fully this call, this generous and valiant call, as, as Gaudium et Spes calls it, to be generous in bringing forth children into this world, to be open to life, and to recognize children are a gift from the Lord, just like marriage. A father pointed this out in his sermon this morning when we went to Mass, that Marriage is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a gift of love. Mm -hmm. And and in marriage, a man and woman found a family, a community, a covenant of love and life, open to life. Now, every marriage isn't blessed with children. God doesn't bless every marriage with children Mm -hmm. directly, their own biological children. Some people adopt. Some people spend their time serving the church if they aren't blessed with children. There are many ways that you can serve others, but we should all be serving whether married or not, but the married couple needs to renew those vows and be faithful and and strive to live that that image of the inner Trinitarian life which we are called to live. We are called to be like God. Can we do this on our own? No, no. We need God's help. That's right. Every day. And it's interesting because yesterday's gospel was on forgiveness. It was on the the steward who had owed his master all kinds of money like huge amounts and so the master first commands that the steward be sold along with his wife and children all his property in order to pay the, the master back and the steward pleads with his master oh don't sell me don't sell me please i'll, I'll pay you back i promise i'll pay you back and the master forgives the whole debt mm-hmm. and then the steward goes out and he finds someone else a fellow servant who owes him a mere pittance and he throttles the man and says, pay me back. And the, the man pleads with him, please, please, I, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. Just give me time. And the man, and the man won't hear of it. And he throws the man in jail. Mm. You have to pay me back. And you can't get out of jail till you pay me back. Mm. Well, his fellow servants get very disturbed and they go to the master. And it's interesting. It's, we had a priest point this out one time, and I would never thought of this. And it's important that we slow down and look at these readings more carefully. And then, so, so they go and report to the master what happened, and then the master calls that servant back, and he said, you worthless wretch. I forgave your entire debt when you pleaded with me. You should have done, dealt mercifully with your fellow servant. And then he doesn't put him in jail. He hands him, he doesn't sell him like he said he was going to do. He hands him over to the torturer until he pays back the whole debt. What on earth is going on here? Yeah. Well, the reality is the man had borrowed money from his master and then he had loaned it out to his fellow servants. So when the master forgave his debt and he goes out and he throttles a fellow servant and throws him in jail because he can't, the fellow servant can't pay back the debt, the other servants who borrowed from the master get concerned and they come to the master and they say, ah, da, 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 da. And, and the master brings him in and he says, wait a minute, I forgave your entire debt and the reality is, is you have my money. You have my money and you're using it like you're a banker and you have the money to pay me back. So now I'm going to turn you over to the torture and you're going to tell us where the money is because you owe it to me. And so you better pay it back. And God knows Mm -hmm. our hearts. He knows our hearts. And again, with marriage, are we being generous? Are we being generous with our spouses? Do we give them our time? Or are we just, you know, is the husband just a wage earner? You know, is the the wife just a housekeeper? Or even so, you know, are both the husband and wife's wage earners? And who's taking care of the children in the house? (laughs) You know, are they even, are we just uh, um, occupying the same geographical location, the same house? And we're not even founding a community of love and life. Marriage is about having a community of love and life. It's a covenant, Mm -hmm. so we need to spend time with one another. We need to actually make time to be with our families. Spouses need to make time to be with each other, and they need to make time for their children together. And well said. It's not. It's not about me. It's not about I want what I want. And and what did you have here? The Pharisees they have a worldview, not a biblical worldview a worldly worldview. Remember, these are the same people who are expecting Jesus to establish Jesus, the Messiah, and they're trying to test to see if he's the Messiah according to their estimation of the Messiah. Is he going to establish us as the rulers of the world? Is he going to kick Rome out of Judea and let us rule, make a kingdom of, Ju- of the Israelites again? Is he going to make Israel a kingdom again, Judah a kingdom again? And so they're looking at a worldview that's worldly And so with marriage, because marriage is that first basic unit of society in the church, they have a misconstrued notion. Just like they want to rule the world, so too the men want to rule in the marriage. And the woman should just shut up and put up and just do whatever her man says. And if I'm not pleased with her, I can just get rid of her. Well, no, that's not what it's about. You see, men and women are equal. Mm-hmm. And in marriage, husbands and wives both have a role to play, a vital role. And it's not about the man dominating the woman and the woman manipulating the man or the woman manipulating the man and dominating—and you know, vice versa or whatever. And it's not about either of them dominating or, or the other one manipulating. Whatever the roles are, okay? That's not what it's about. It's about living together in a community of love and life and looking to God as our example of how that's supposed to be. Looking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the most holy trinity, and understanding what their inner life is like. So that we can reflect that in our world and in our service of one another. And that service is supposed to spill over into the community. Are we praying that our, will God will grant us religious vocations in our family? Are we praying for our children to have good and holy marriages that will bring up their our grandchildren in such a way that religious vocations could come from that and holy marriages can come from that? Or are we just letting the world infect us just like it infected the first century Jews here at Jesus' time and say, look, this is the way we want it. We want to rule the world, and we want to rule our, our, our families, and we just want to be able to call all the shots. And it doesn't rule. But, and Jesus, so Jesus... You know, it doesn't matter what God has to say about it. It's just what we want. We want, we want. Are we living the same way 21st century Christians? Are we doing the same thing? Look, God, you died on the cross. So why do we have to suffer? You died on the cross. So why is there still suffering in this world? Look, God, if you're a good God, how come you allow evil? Look, God, don't you know that you weren't supposed to let my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my aunt or my uncle or my grandma or grandpa die of cancer or get shot or... You know, you weren't supposed to let my kids fall into the the errors of our time in faith and morals. Or are we saying, look, Lord, you made us, you made us for yourself and you want us to learn how to love. And we haven't learned it. We need your help, Lord. We need your help to learn how to love, to really love the way you love us. You know, God didn't ask us if we wanted to exist. He made us as a free gift of love. God calls us to marriage so that we can image the love that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for each other in the Trinity and also to mirror image the love that Christ has for his church. Jesus Christ established his church. In order to establish her, what does he do? He sacrifices himself on the cross. He lays down his life to free her from the power of sin and death. He didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He didn't come to eradicate what we consider evil. He came to redeem it. Yet, sin came as an intrusion, and God doesn't want us to sin, so he gives us the grace to overcome sin if we turn to him and ask for it. And in our marriage, the first step to doing that is forgiving one another.
2: Wow, the the hidden power of forgiveness. I always like to promote that CD by Deacon Bob McDonald hidden power of, convi- of uh, forgiveness, Forgiveness. Give, give us a call at 877-526-215 and we'll download it back to you. This is a world biblical view of the sacrament of marriage. Uh, and I want to say that uh, this is something you should consider passing on to your friends. The podcast, we'll be back with more.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, August 13, 2021. And we are talking about marriage and have we hardened our hearts against God and against his law. And I would encourage everyone to read uh, The Theology of the Body by John Paul II. Um, uh, Man and Woman, He Created Them. Um, this is Michael Veldstein's uh, translation. Excellent, excellent, excellent. But to understand why God made us. And this is, we, we, know, we need to know this. We need to realize this. And I want to read to you some paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And again, read the whole thing. The section on marriage, uh, Article 7, the Sacrament of Matrimony, begins with paragraph 1601. So I want to read to you a few things out of here. And I want to comment on them. And I want to comment further on the scriptures here. About what God is showing us, and we were talking about forgiveness beforehand, and why it's so essential, and actually, unforgiveness leads to hardness of heart, and it can be very destructive. I remember once a priest told a story about a woman who came into a conference on a retreat or had a conference with a priest, and she came in and she said, "Look, I don't love my husband anymore. I want to divorce him. I, I just don't love him. There's no feeling there anymore. I have no more emotion. Um, I don't think it's. I think I'm being dishonest to live with him." So um, the priest said to her, um, you're angry. No, Father, I'm not angry. There's no emotion. I'm not angry at all. Actually, honey, you're angry, and I want you to go out there and pray, and I want you to ask God what you're angry about. Oh, she came back in for another conference, and boy, was she seething. You know what it turned out? It wasn't anything big. He hadn't been unfaithful. He hadn't neglected to, to support the family. He hadn't neglected the children. He hadn't neglected. To, he, hadn't, he hadn't been out drinking or carousing. It was a thousand little things over the maybe 20 years of their course of their marriage where she had been hurt. And instead of calling him on it or trying to bring a reconciliation, she had just buried it. And so, you know, when we're hurt, we get angry. Now, sometimes when we're hurt, we get angry because our pride's hurt. Okay. And that we need to look at that when we're hurt. We need to look at it. Why am I hurt? Is there a true injustice here? are my rights really being trampled on? Because sometimes that can happen. I mean, you know, we're we're selfish. We're selfish, self-centered human beings. And we we look at ourselves and we um, sometimes forget the needs of the people around us. And we're only thinking of ourselves. And it's like, well, you know, I'm the husband. I just, well, gosh, I worked all day. I'm tired. I want to do it this way. And, you know, well, don't you realize your wife's been working all day too? You know, I, I remember once on, on the, they had it, I don't know, on YouTube or something. They had this this, it was kind of a, it was about marriage and it was um, this lady, she, she fixed a meal for her husband and he comes home from work and and it's cold and because he's late and whatever. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, whatever. And he just throws it in the trash and he gives her a bad time. And um, she just looks at him, and she's just crushed. And she drops this piece of paper in the trash can and walks out of the room. And he picks out this piece of paper and this paper is a list of everything she had to do that day. You know, starting from the time that she got up early to make sure that he got to work on time and then got up and got the kids got up and fed you know he she got his breakfast she got their breakfast they everything she had done throughout the day and then she had fixed his favorite meal and he had come home late so it was cold and and it was like oh and and you see this look on his face like oh my gosh am i just taking her for, for granted so back to the story of the priest and this woman the priest said look what you need to do is every day for the next five years you need to forgive and forgive again All of these things that you have buried inside for five years, for for all this marriage life, you need for the next five years to bring up. And when they come up, you need to forgive and forgive again and again for five years. And you see, because anger kills our emotions. And if we do not forgive people, we will become incapable of loving. So danger about unforgiveness, okay? Danger. Danger it will destroy your marriage it will destroy your family we need to learn to forgive even those who have committed real injustices against us okay there was a family whose daughter was murdered and brutally by her boyfriend and they knew who did it so they they helped the police catch him and then they got him you know they got they got permission to be at his trial they got permission to be at his sentencing you know and so they made sure he got put in jail and they made sure and they got permission to be at his execution. But they never made an act of the will. And this is, not, this is a true story. They never made an act of the will to forgive him. So once he was dead, their hatred was still alive. And then the hatred turned on the family and ripped it apart. Don't harbor hatred toward anyone in your family. If you're unforgiving towards your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your husband, your wife, it's going to tear you apart, it's going to destroy your possibility for love, and it's going to tear your family apart. And I want to read you some some paragraphs here from the Catechism that teach us what marriage is about. The Christian view of marriage, the Catholic view of marriage, which is a biblical worldview. The matrimonial covenant by which a man and woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole life indissoluble, is by its nature ordered to the good of the spouses and the procreation of children, of offspring. This covenant between the baptized person has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. And that's the one that Terry was reading to you from Gaudium Spez, number 48. Sacred scripture begins with the creation of man and woman in the image and likeness of God and concludes with the vision of the wedding feast of the Lamb. So it begins with the marriage And it concludes with a marriage. Scripture speaks throughout of marriage and its mystery, its institution and the meaning God has given it, its origin and its end, its various realizations throughout the history of salvation, the difficulties arising from sin and its renewal in the Lord, in the new covenant of Christ in his church. The difficulties arising from sin where Moses allowed a decree of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Have we hardened our hearts again against God and his law and against our spouses, against the good of ourselves? The intimate community of life and love, which constitutes the married state, has been established by the creator and endowed by him with its own proper laws. God himself is the author of marriage. Let's never forget it. God made marriage. Man did not. Okay the vocation of marriage is written in the very nature of man and woman as they came from the hand of the creator marriage is not a purely human institution despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries in different cultures social structures and spiritual attitudes these differences should not cause us to forget its common common excuse me common and permanent characteristic Although the dignity of this institution is not transparent everywhere with some clarity, some sense of the greatness of the matrimonial union exists in all cultures. So not everyone sees the full dignity of it. It's not transparent because of different cultures. But nonetheless, there is this this reality, this understanding, basic understanding that somehow marriage needs to be respected. The well-being of the individual person and of both human and Christian society is closely bound up with healthy, the healthy state of conjugal and family life. Fidelity. all right, Fidelity in marriage, openness to life, and permanence. Permanence, fidelity, and openness to life. These are the characteristics of marriage, and God is the one who established it. God who created man out of love also calls him to love the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. For man is created in the image and likeness of God who is himself love. We were made by God who is love. So we were made by love and we were made for love to love and be loved, to receive love from God and to give love to all those around us. Since God created him, man and woman, male and female, this mutual love becomes an image of the absolute and unfailing love with which God loves man. It is good, very good in the creator's eyes. That's what God says in the end. And God saw that it was very good. And the love which God, and the love, and this love, which God blesses is intended to be fruitful and to be realized in the common work of watching over creation. And God blesses them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Holy Scripture affirms that man and woman were created for one another. It is not good for the man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. The woman flesh of his flesh, his equal and his nearest in all things, is given to him by God as a helpmate. Okay. remember, God, Adam names all the animals and he doesn't find one, a suitable, suitable uh, helpmate. So God casts a deep sleep on him and builds up a woman out of his rib. She is his equal. She is his equal and she's the helpmate. She thus represents God from whom comes our help. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. The Lord himself shows that this signifies an unbreakable union, unbreakable union of their two lives by recalling what the plan of the creator has been in the beginning. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Those are the first five paragraphs, paragraphs 1601 through 1605, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church on marriage. And I would encourage everyone to continue reading and studying that. But what, what do we have here? Well, yesterday's gospel talked about forgiveness. And then immediately after that, you have these Pharisees coming to Jesus and trying to trap him up to say, well, shouldn't we be able to divorce our wives? I mean, Moses allowed us to. And Jesus takes him back to the beginning and says, how was it from the beginning? How did God make it in the beginning? God instituted marriage. Man didn't institute it. It wasn't man's. It's a gift of love from God, as Father said in the sermon this morning. A gift of love from God, marriage is. But there are rules and there are laws that govern it. And that is that it must be a permanent union, it must be an exclusive union, one man and one woman, and it must be open to life. So it is indissoluble by God's command because it reflects the unity of the Trinity. You can't divide the Trinity and open to life because it reflects the fruitfulness of the Trinity and faithful because God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always faithful to one another. There's no infidelity in God. Thank you for joining us this Friday, August 13th on Bible with the Barbers. Um, Any questions or comments, you can call 877-526-2151. And also you can um, go on our website, virginmostpowerful.org and, and get that uh, the conference we had last week and the download of the Sex and Honor Conference that we had last week. Be right back. Okay.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. We're talking about have we hardened our hearts? And we're talking about marriage and family life. And and I, I I've covered a lot today. So I really hope that you will listen to this again and listen to the podcast. And I hope you will share it with all your family members. Pass it on. You know, the only way we do these Bible studies. There are a lot of people, Catholics looking for Bible studies. Share this with them. We're looking at a Bible study. What is God's worldview? How do we live God's worldview? And how do we know what it is? Well, the Lord has told us. And then the Lord gave us the church. He established one church, and the church has given us the catechism. So read the catechism and study it and understand what marriage is and family life. And we we want to live this vision, God's vision of the life that he's given us, the gifts that he's given us. So we we've, we've learned that marriage is a gift from God, that God himself is the one who instituted marriage. And he instituted it to be a permanent, indissoluble bond between one man and one woman for life, for the good of the spouses, that is for their eternal salvation, and their, their human good too, for their happiness in this world. By the way, St. Thomas Aquinas says the, the highest degree of friendship and the greatest degree of, of happiness that a man, can have in, a man or a woman can have in this world is within marriage, within a marriage that's lived according to God's design. And they're open to life, open to the possibility of life. And it's interesting that this gospel today ends with, you know, Jesus telling them that, you know, God didn't intend divorce from the beginning. It was because of the hardness of your hearts and that, no, you you can't divorce your wife for any reason. But what what tomorrow's gospel is, is the pre the following verses and the following verses are about the people bringing their children to Jesus to have them blessed. And, and this is a way that the gospel writer connects these two things. If you read Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, this, there's a connection between children and marriage because there was a connection in the beginning because God said, let them be fruitful and multiply. So in a marriage, we're supposed to be open to the possibility of life. We bring children into this world, as, but they're gifts from God. Children, we don't, just because we get married doesn't mean we can have children. Every child is a gift from God. It's only God who, who can give life to a child because only God gives the immortal soul. You know, man and woman live in conjugal union and in the conjugal relations, there's the possibility of life coming forth, but only God can give an immortal soul to any fertilized egg. And it's only if that fertilized egg receives an immortal soul that it becomes a living being. And if the child is developing, if that fertilized egg is developing into a child, well, yeah, God gave it life. He gave it because the soul is the life principle. So the child is there from the first moment of conception. And we have to respect that life. So the question that I put up for as the title for today's show, have we hardened our hearts? Well, let's look around us. What is the divorce rate among Catholics? The divorce rate among Catholics is the same as those who are secular and have no religion. What is the contraceptive rate or the abortion rate among Catholics? Unfortunately, it seems like it's just about as high as it is in the secular world. We have closed our hearts to the reality of what Jesus taught us here, that in the beginning, God made them male and female. And so if husband must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh, and what God has joined, man must not divide. And that the possibility of life coming from this union, that we're closing ourselves off to that. We're becoming so self-centered and so focused in on what makes me feel good. Not even what makes my spouse feel good, it's all about me, 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 okay? And you know, someone once quoted the, uh, the passage of scripture, God hates divorce, yes, God hates divorce, and why? Because he desires godly children. Well, how do you get godly children? Well, you get godly children by training your children to live in the love of God. And you do that by loving one another as spouses. So the best thing any husband or wife can do for their child is to love their, their spouse. Love one another sincerely. Forgive one another from the heart. Don't nag your spouse don't try and dominate your spouse. Don't try and control your spouse's life. Don't try and be the one who pulls all the strings and calls all the shots. Don't treat your spouse like they're not capable or not, you know, um, competent. Love them. Love them into life. Now, in our age, we we live. We, we have a lot of people who come from a lot of brokenness, you know, families that were dysfunctional, where there was divorce and, and not only divorce, but abuse of different kinds. And so sometimes people enter into marriage and they're not emotionally mature. And so they start they start this little bickering between and what what, what happens is you get this cycle of abuse going on between two people. They they have some kind of a love for one another. And yet at the same time, there's this cycle of abuse. And so then there's a big blow up and both of them realize, oh my gosh, this isn't working out. Uh, something's wrong here. And they apologize. And maybe for a while they go to counseling and then things get a little better. And it's like, oh, things are all better now. Or, or maybe, um, maybe my brain chemistry is off and I just need the right medicine. And so then I get a medicine that makes me feel better. And I'm not so much inclined to starting a fight every day. But then I think, oh, everything's fine but I don't have to deal with the past hurts that are actually contributing to the dysfunction of my family in the present moment. The reality is, is that sometimes in a marriage, if there's a lot of emotional abuse going on or physical abuse, a spouse may have to take legal action to protect themselves and any children that have come from that union from abuse. And and in that case, it's not about us versus them, or we want to divide them, or, or we want to take you know, your rights away. Everybody wants you to be healed, I hope. We all want to see our spouse healed. So if we have a spouse that's abusive, we pray for their healing. But at the same time, there needs to be positive steps taken to see that that healing can take place. And when there's been trauma and um, neglect, emotional neglect, physical neglect, trauma, Physical trauma, emotional trauma, uh, abuse, uh, physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse in someone's past, they need to go through the hard work of counseling to overcome those things. And if they're not willing to do that, they can never fully be open to love and to loving and to receiving love. You see, when we're wounded by the traumas of the past, those wounds lie to us they tell us that we're not lovable or capable of being loved. And so we actually subconsciously short circuit ourselves and we start being abusive and combative and we push people away from us who love us. When we see love coming, we get scared. I no, that hurts. I don't, that hurts too much to be loved because that means that then I have to respond in love and I'm not capable of that. Those are the wounds in you lying to you. You can be healed. Now, don't demand of God that He heal you um, and miraculously. Okay? There are lots of true stories. You know, there, there was a woman who was in a very uh, abusive situation, and a priest suggested to her look, you need to legally separate from the spouse uh, for the protection of your children because they're being hurt by this abuse all right, as much as you're being hurt. And if you keep this up, she said, but if I just pray hard enough, if I just make enough sacrifices, God will work a miracle and she'll heal him and everything will be fine. And he said, no, you're going to have a nervous breakdown, honey. Well, after he gave her that advice, I guess she presented it to some family members and they said, oh no, no, we'll help, we'll help. And so they came in and they helped. And nine months later, guess what? She ended up having a nervous breakdown. Because subconsciously she thought, well, if I just pray hard enough, I will force the hand of God and he will work a miracle. Sweetheart, we're not going to force the hand of God. I'm not advocating for divorce. I'm advocating for a healthy marriage. And in order that for there to be a healthy marriage, you have to have people who are emotionally and psychologically secure and, and mature, mature and sound. We have to be sound in mind and body. And if we're not emotionally mature, <laughs> you know, this is again, man finds himself by giving himself the free gift of self to another. But what if I don't have any self possession of myself? What if I see myself as unloved and unlovable? Then I don't recognize myself as being made in the image and likeness of God. And I can't give myself as a gift to another. I have to first recognize myself as a gift to be given, a gift that is worthy of being given and received and respected. I trust my spouse to respect the gift of myself to my spouse. And we have to work at it every day. We renew our marriage vows. We serve one another in love. When, when, When something happens that hurts us, we make an act of the will to forgive, but we have to talk about it. We need to work it out. We need to live a biblical worldview. So if there's been a lot of trauma in your past, seek counseling from a good counselor who acknowledges that there's original sin, who acknowledges that, yes, you are responsible for your actions in the present moment, even though the past is what's controlling your your response. It's still you're responsible in the present moment. If you find a counselor that said, oh no, anything you want to do is fine, you know, you just decide for yourself, whatever makes you feel good, that counselor's not helping you to grow. That counselor isn't really concerned for your good, okay? I'm not advocating divorce, but if there is, de- if there is definitely abuse, sometimes legally you have to protect yourself from the abuse. But pray, don't give up on prayer, and just because you have to protect yourself legally, you know, the church... If you are married in the church, the church presumes the validity of that marriage until it is proven otherwise. So you might have to separate yourself legally. That doesn't mean that the bond of marriage is broken because the bond of marriage is made in the sacrament by God. So we want to grow in our love of God and our love of neighbor and that love of neighbor demands that I start to die to myself and be able to give myself as a gift, but I have to have full possession of myself in order to be able to give myself. And if there's been trauma and abuse and neglect in my past, I may need counseling to, before I can get to a point where I can fully give myself as a free gift. You know, I didn't marry my husband so that I could be his mother. I'm his wife. It's not my job to train him. I didn't marry my husband so that he could be my caregiver, so he could take care of me. No, I'm his equal. We are helpmates in marriage, in building one another up in God's love, in building our children up in God's love, in building a community of love and life that mirror images the relationship between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and that images the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I see that the clock's ticking down here. Please share this with your family and friends. Please study this. Study the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Study Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body, and pray in your marriages. Pray together every day. By the way, marriages, men and women that pray together in their marriage, husbands and wives, have a very, very small divorce rate. It's it's really small. So you want your marriage to work? Bring God into the center of it. Make him the center of your life, of your life together, as a, in your life individually, and the lives of your children. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Share this podcast and invite your family and friends to listen.